this is Jordan Van Trump with Farm Tank. Farm Tank is an organization I formed for individuals and business owners to learn the latest in innovation, execution, and motivation. I believe there's a huge demand for hearing how others have become successful in life. I'll be traveling the world talking to some of the most influential CEOs and founders to help everyone learn and be more successful in their near future. The agricultural community has been extremely grateful to me and my family, so I'd like to do the same for everyone else and share my insights with you. With that, coming to you live with Farm Tank, Jordan Van Trump. This episode of Farm Tank is brought to you by AgSwag. AgSwag focuses on returning an ROI when it comes to corporate swag and client gifting to really take your business to the next level. AgSwag offers creative ways to build a winning culture in your business, smart strategies to lower customer acquisition costs, and a true vision to help your business improve customer retention rates. I've used AgSwag to help build a culture at Farm Tank, design logos, design t-shirts for special events, and really come up with a customer retention program to really start building brand ambassadors for my business. My theory is I can work with sweatshirts.com out of China that knows nothing about my business or agriculture itself, or I can use AgSwag, who are boots on the ground, submerged in agriculture every day, talking to farmers. I really use them as a sounding board when it comes to making decisions about corporate swag and client gifting. I know they're working with a lot of big companies such as Crop Risk Services at the moment, CGB, Lathrop and Gage, and they're even working with uh, the local farm to help them with employee retention and uh, customer retention problems when it comes to buying grain, renting ground. Uh, they're even expanded out into some construction businesses. I know they're working a lot with real estate companies they also have a CEO challenge out there right now as well. And you can contact me about that and I'd be happy to send it your way. But it's uh, seven secret questions to challenge every CEO. And I know they haven't got any CEOs to actually get all seven questions right. So it might be a good challenge just for you to try if you want to do AgSwag or not. Be sure to give AgSwag a call at 816-221-SWAG. They're always the go-to creative resource for swag and unique client gifting ideas. Today I have the pleasure of speaking with Lauren Howard. Lauren was raised by a single mother and always had the dream of owning his own business. Lauren attended Northwestern University on a football scholarship, studying communications and sociology. Uh, after studying at Northwestern, he ended up transferring to Arizona State for a senior season after surgery, thinking he'd heal up and play another year and enter the NFL. Unfortunately, he was uh, cut short due to a knee injury. He was inspired to launch his first business soon after graduating college called Alternative Web Media, which is an internet design development and SEO company. He also co-founded Alpha Direct Compounding Pharmacy, I should mention Lauren holds three world records as well in the 500-meter, 100-meter, and one minute for max distance and indoor rowing. In addition, he sits on the board for Valley Guardians, which is a nonprofit organization that raises hundreds of thousands of dollars annually to support local underprivileged children. Lauren is currently the founder and chief manager of Prime Plus Mortgages, and with that, I'd like to welcome Lauren to the show. Hey, Jordan. Thanks, brother. I hang out with you more often, man. Make me feel good about myself. <laughs> yeah, definitely a good intro for sure. Um, I appreciate. Let's just let's uh, let's start the first question off. I uh, want to know how you know Braden. For everyone that doesn't know Braden Hootie, who's been on my podcast before, a good family friend of ours. 
set me up with Lauren for this podcast. And uh, sounds like you guys have been great friends for a while now. Yeah, yeah. Uh, about three or four years now. But uh, we kind of, uh, it was kind of like a blind date, to tell you the truth. It was kind of funny. Uh, his sister Jennifer was dating um, a guy named Jeremy Ellens, who owns a company called Leak Quizzes, who I was kind of business mentoring at the time. And, I mean, he says, he says, hey, man, you need to meet this Braden guy. You got a lot of, you guys both drive, drive, drive the same cars, you're in the business, he's doing a lot of stuff, he's your age. So they're like, okay, that's one network. So, you know, I hit him up and went to, went to lunch with him. It was kind of like, we weren't really sure what we were there about, but we were kind of sniffing each other out. And, and uh, we really hit it off, man, and became good buddies. Uh, we went to the, you know, this Taco Tequila Festival here with Darcy Hornacek uh, that weekend. And then since then, we've been just great buddies, man. He stood up for me at my wedding and, we travel around, party, and have a good time. We're on the Valley Guardians together, and he's, he's you know, top three best buddies in, in my world, man. He's a great guy. Yeah, for sure. I talked. To, I haven't talked to Braden in probably a month, but uh, I probably need to reach out to him sometime this week or next. Uh, we usually talk every few weeks, but definitely a great guy. Yeah, let's dive into the meat of this podcast a little bit, and uh, let's just start off by telling our listeners who's been the most influential person in your life today. Or overall? That's a good question. Yeah, I kind of thought about that. And, like, my life's kind of come in phases. And I, I would say, I think, in an earlier phase of my life, uh, you know, I was raised by my, my uncle, my mom's brother, when I moved down here. And, and uh, he really just taught me kind of how to think like a man, how to think like an adult. And, and, and uh, he's, he's just been a huge – I mean, he, he, I always laugh. He's, he's raised, like, you know, eight kids, but only, like, three of them have been his biologically. You know, he's just a, a great person, and, a, and a, he was a huge influence on me. Um, you know, I had a trainer, Alex Simonek, who, uh, who, was, who, who, who kind of took me under his wing and built me up athletically, and uh, he's a big influence. And then, um, you know, I have uh, my partner now, who's my partner in the pharmacy, and, and also in uh, and John Lewis. He's a he's got a kindred spirit of mine. You know, he's, he's just, it's been good for me to see him. He's, he's in his, you know, 60s, and to see his philosophy and his wisdom in life. Um, he's been an entrepreneur since he was you know, 17, and just to see how he looks at things now, as compared to when, you know, he was out there, you know, chasing tigers by the tail. And it's really helped me, uh, you know, understand how I want to live and, and, and how, to, how to look at things now. So he's been a huge influence as well. So it's kind of, there's been other ones in between along the way, but I would probably have to say those have been my top, top three or four. Yep. Yeah, sounds like some good influences. Most people only give uh, one or so, but uh, it's always good to have more than one in your life for sure. Um, Let's uh, let's dive into a little bit about on your background though. Let's uh, tell our listeners just a little brief brief bit about your background in your early life, such as where you grew up, high school, sure. college, first real job, stuff like that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, uh, born in Salt Lake City, Utah. Parents got divorced in first grade. Um, my mom, me, and my younger brother in fourth grade moved to Iowa. Um, my my older brother stayed with my uh, with my dad in Utah because he was fourteen and. He had a choice to um, lived in a small town in Iowa called Fairfield for two years. Um, and then in sixth grade, moved to Seattle for about eight months. My mom uh, had two sisters up there in a support group and a small town, 10,000. This wasn't, wasn't the place that she, I think, wanted to be uh, for the rest of her life. So got to Seattle. Um, she couldn't find a job, so she ran out of money about eight months in. And my Uncle Larry, the one who raised us, uh, uh, took us in down here in Arizona, moved down to Arizona, and then Kind of grew up the rest of the time here. Went to went to high school, Saguaro High School, where you know I kind of excelled in football and academics, and um, earned a scholarship to Northwestern. First job uh, was a um, I was working I worked in this tuxedo shop 
it's actually right down the street from my house right now. When I was, when I, when I was 14, you know, <laughs> so I'd only worked on Sundays and you know, we'd go in the back and take naps till we heard the, the door ring, you know, so we'd come in and we'd hop up and go out there all chipper. Hey, how can I? <laughs> and yep. then uh, after that, I got a, I got a job as a, 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 a I was a bus boy at raw sushi when I was a senior in high school. And then uh, I was eating too much food. So they fired me as a bus boy, but they said I could come back and be a bouncer. So I said, okay, <laughs> <laughs> there you go. It's not a not a bad problem to have. Yeah. Um, let's uh, tell me a little bit about Northwestern. Real good school. Um, you played football there. How was uh, that experience? Yeah, it was a great experience. You know, like I was, I, I was full of piss and vinegar. You know, you know, still in, but calmed down a little bit. So it was. It, 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 and the point is that in Northwestern is uh, in Evanston, Illinois, where you know prohibition actually started there. It's a little kind of Jewish town north of of, uh, of Chicago. And um, so it was, you know, Northwestern recruits kids based on character, not necessarily uh, on talent because, they, you know, they, they got to have the right grades and they got to have the right character makeup. So it was a very good place for me to be as an uh, you know, 18-year-old male full of testosterone and, and pest and vinegar, you know, because it was good influences. It was great people, a lot of, a lot of great supervision, not, not too much to get in trouble with. Um, so it was really cool, you know, and, and I, got, I got to, you know, I always had a dream of playing college football. And, I was always a, a blue collar guy when it came to my work ethic, you know, I was going to outwork everyone. So, you know, it wasn't, I wasn't, I, mean, I was less talented, but so I got there, I wasn't sure how good I was going to be at football, but apparently I was better than I thought uh, starting from, you know, day two in camp. And I was a, you know, freshman all American and a uh, big camp defensive freshman of the year. And, and, and you know, then that, that, my career was kind of, kind of on, on its way from a football perspective there. And, uh, man, it was awesome. I got to play in every Big Ten stadium. Um, I'm still close, close with Coach Fitzgerald there. Um, I get to see him usually about once or twice a year for a game, and then he comes out for a coaching clinic. And all around, it was, just, it, was a, it was a really great experience. You know, there's you know, some, good, some good football stores there. You got, you know, every, every Big Ten stadium is a little unique. Fans are a little unique. Teams are a little unique. And, and we got to see it all. So it was cool. Yeah, sounds like a good time. Um, back to the football. I want to focus on that a little bit right now. You obviously played at a super high level. Uh, not many people get the opportunity to play Big Ten football. Or you also went down to Arizona State and played a little bit and experienced that. Yep. I just wanted to know, what's the best tool you've taken away from playing football and you applied into running your businesses? Or in other words, what's a tool that you have others may not have because you got to play football at such a high level? Um, it's, good. it's a good question. There's a lot of them. But the thing that kind of comes to mind for me and, and – and, it was was work ethic, uh, and I, I had the work ethic going before going into football, but I was able to apply it. Um, and uh, you know, that's all. You know, nothing happens without without hard work. It's good uh, and passion. You know, like I had in some of my, you know, some of my drive came from you know wanting attention or, or you know, like because my dad wasn't super involved in my life. Kind of um, when I was young, so we moved away and. And see very often, and so you know, I think some of my drive, my work ethic, might have come not necessarily from the most positive place, but it was so tenacious that uh, I was able to supply it. And I, 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 you know, just I was, I was, I would outwork everyone. I was obsessed about it. I mean, un, in an unbalanced and an unhealthy way, but in a way that allowed me to get to a level of a performance um, that was, you know, the top and top top in the United States. You know, I was, you know, Mel Kiper going into my junior year preseason had me slotted as the second D end uh, to go in the draft. It was, it was Matthias Kiwanuka, Mario Williams, or me and then Mario Williams. Uh, I got hurt going into that season. Mario went first in the draft, and I think Matthias went 10th from Boston College to, uh, 
to the, to the Giants. And I guess the other work, and then this kind of parlays into the other lesson is, is how to deal with adversity and how to, how to rebuild yourself. You know, for me, I was so single-minded that nothing ever occurred to me because of that other than playing football. I never thought about anything else, you know. Um, there were, I had no backup plan. And, and my identity as a man and as a, as a person was built around who I was as a football player. And, um, and so when I lost football, I went kind of into a little bit of a tailspin because I didn't have identity anymore. Um, but uh, what, what I did is I just dove into, you know, personal development and, and growth and reading and learning. And, and, uh, and, I, and I rebuilt myself from a, a principal-centered perspective, you know, like Stephen Covey says, um, and I built it myself on things that, you know, can't be taken away from you, like my character and my integrity and who I want to be and who I was. And, and, um, and so from there, that was a, a, a blessing in disguise. You know, hell, I would have liked the $25 million contract, but, but, um, <laughs> but it was, I was super un, unbalanced um, and, and, and kind of selfish, honestly, with how I approached, you know, my life people, because to me, football was first and I was going to come above anyone and everyone because that's my identity and who I was. And that's what, had, you know, buttered my bread from the time I was, you know, a sophomore in high school. I want to listen. I want to hear more about your transition from football. I mean, I, I knew you were at a high level. I didn't know you were at that high level at the draft. And you were kind of consumed. It seemed like you were addicted. I, I was kind of that way at baseball growing up and had the opportunity to play at a high level but chose to pass it up. I just wanted to uh, – I kind of want to learn more on your transition, you would say, into the business world seemed like you were consumed. A lot of our listeners are uh, farmers who maybe lost the farm and they've grown up with that their whole life or a startup who's been grinding it out for 10 years out of school and it finally failed and they got to learn to transition. I just kind of want to learn on your transition and maybe give them some better advice on how to transition yeah, as well. Yeah. yeah, that's a good, good question. Um, so for me, kind of learning business was a little bit, it was, more, it was a little harder for me. Um, it, it took a little longer. Like with athletics, it's kind of linear, right? I could, I could watch more film. I could, I could train harder. I could eat healthier. I could take the right supplements, and I would get results. You know what I mean? Business for me was a little more dynamic. I, I didn't grow up around business. You know, my mom was a single parent. She was a you know, secretary and then ended up uh, later on becoming a, a teacher. And you know, my dad wasn't a, a business guy. Um, and so – it was very, very unique for me. And I kind of had a, so for me, the transition, I guess it, uh, it was, it's a mentality, number one, right? Cause you have to, you have to shift from, you know, you're, you're now supporting yourself, right? You got, you got to find a way to make money. And the, the, the biggest thing for me was finding the time to learn and develop my skill set while still paying the bill. Because, you know, the, the, the time, developing yourself and, and learning how to do the business and, and building your network and, you know, because that's where you grow, you grow your skill set. And once your skill set's grown, you, you take that with you forever and you can transition that and, and channel it into other areas. But for me, it was when I was transitioning from football to, to business, it was learning and growing that skill set. And then, and it took time, right? It took time for me because it wasn't, um, didn't come naturally. I didn't grow up around it. I didn't see it. So it was all very new. Um, and there's a lot of times in the process where I was getting going and I started, you know, alternative web media. Even before that, I started a supplement company that failed. I called my MBA and I learned a lot. I learned a lot and, and you know, I just kept scrapping and griming and, and working. I joined a, a B&I network to, and just kind of fake it till I make it. And it was scary as shit. I didn't, 
I remember living in this little one bedroom apartment and I had my office in the kitchen and, you know, I was just trying to pound phones and I, I'd never sold anything in my life. And I'm trying to sell SEO packages to you know, business owners. <laughs> I'm fumbling through it. I'm stuttering and, and it's scary, man. But, but, um, over time you, by being uncomfortable, you increase your, your comfort zone. Right. And then, you know, the, the more your comfort zone expands, it's like a circle and then a larger circle around it, a larger circle around it. And now inside that circle is your skill sets and things you're comfortable with and you develop. And, and it takes time to do that. And, and, and in order to find the time and take that leap, I think is crucial while you're still able to kind of support yourself. But sometimes, um, like for me, I'll give you an example. Actually, you got to burn the boats because I had a, a million dollar disability insurance policy and I was playing football because, uh, you know, I was at that level and uh, it, I put a claim in and it took time to get it in. And that money always kind of settled my head. And I think at times it throttled me a little bit. And then once it all went through and that was gone, like it, it just kind of kicked me into another gear. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. So I think desperation definitely uh, is a very good motivator. I don't know if that was a long answer to a short question. Hopefully there's some value there. Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. For sure. Um, let's jump into a little bit of entrepreneur stuff. It's kind of what I like to talk about. And it seems like you got a sure. lot of expertise in that. But uh, from what I read, it looks like you're a serial entrepreneur, which is someone continuously coming up with new ideas and starting new businesses. You, uh, as an intro, I said you founded Alternative Web Media in 2007, right after graduating. 2013, you co-founded Alpha Direct Compounding um, with the goal to change lives for the better. In 2012. You founded Prime Plus Mortgages. I read, I read somewhere you, you so far you've built five companies to seven and eight figures in four different industries. What I really want to yep. know is um, what motivates you to start all these businesses, and how do you come up with all these successful ideas? <laughs> well, I only told you about the successful ones, so <laughs> there's about a, a you know twice as many that end up uh, not being successful, but. Um, yeah, that's a good question. I got, you know, I've always had, like, one thing about me, and I kind of know, I know myself, I'm, I'm tenacious, but I'm also very likable. And so I've always been able to have people kind of take me under their wing and teach me the ways. And I think I've been intelligent and hardworking enough to, to be able to grow rapidly. And so, you know, most of the things that I've gotten involved in have been kind of brought to me or taught to me. Um, when I got into, like, my first million bucks when I was you know, 26, 27, uh, uh, was in alternative web media, which I, I created a spinoff called Alternative Web Leads. And um, I just learned how to broker deals through call centers. I'd go find a call center generator, call verified leads, or I'd go find a a, um, a buyer to buy the leads. And then I and then after that, I found a way. I networked and got a guy for our licensed lead management system. This is a technology platform, and kind of became my own lead exchange. Um, and then uh, from there, the farm and I was and I was doing really good. I mean, I was working at my my house, and all my employees were in virtual virtual, and we you know managed you know campaigns all over the through call centers all over the world. And then um, I had a you know, buddy bring me a, he said, what do you know about compounding pharmacies? And I said, nothing, but I, I generated leads for pharmacies in the past. And so he told me about compounding and, you know, you know, these prescriptions were getting reimbursed for 3,500 bucks, 4,000 bucks, only cost 200 bucks to make. And, and uh, insurance was paying for it. And so I said, shit, sign me up. Um, yeah. So that's how, that's how I kind of transitioned to the, into the pharmacy world. And, and, uh, you know, I was, you, know, you don't got to be the smartest guy in the world with margins like that to make money. And you know, we made mistakes, but at the same time, we did a lot of things right. And we grew to you know, 150 employees in 15 months, you know what I mean, organically, not an acquisition. Uh, and then, yeah. but we also knew it was kind of a sprint on that deal because we knew that 
uh, insurance probably wouldn't pay for those things for that long, and so it was a short, short-lived deal. Um, as far as like how do I get ideas, I'm I'm, I'm not necessarily an industry-specific guy. I'm more of a deal guy. I look at things based on like I have a little sheet that I created of what I want to get in. It's barrier to entry, and it's you know the cost to get in, and it's how competitive is it, and what's the um, compliance and regulatory landscape. Um, you know, and then what's the, and that's what, what's the numbers look like? You know, I always, I'm always say you could be in a business with 80% margins or a business with 4% margins and do the same thing and be just as talented, but make a lot of money in one and, and, and struggle on the other one. So those, those are definitely big factors. Yeah, it sounds like you, uh, sounds like, seems like part of your success is maybe just getting out there, doing it, not being afraid to fail. Do you think that's played a role in some of the business success you've had lately? Or? Yeah, I, I, absolutely. I mean, there's, like, I tried to start a um, – there's two, two companies that we, I've tried to start in the last, like, three years that actually ended up uh, – I had to pull plug on. One was um, a pharmacy-related product for a, a workers' compensation specialty pharmacy where we were going to partner with – lawyers and doctors and and we knew potentially the doctors weren't going to give up their in-office dispensing and, and and i knew going into that that might be a potential issue and and that one ended up um ended up i had to pull the plug on another one i tried to start was a emerging cash bank company and through the analysis process on that one i didn't take into consideration um the acquisition uh, it felt easier to acquire the client and cheaper to acquire the client that uh, than it was and so you know but i just i get excited about like you know, starting new things and, and um, putting them together, building a team. And uh, but Kevin, now where I'm at now, I'm, I'm, I came from well, the pharmacy. I had 160 employees, and I, you know, I had a 10,000 square foot facility. I got to go to work every day and manage people, and it was a pain in the ass. And so I'm a little bit different spot now, where I kind of work from home, and and um, I really enjoy my lifestyle more. So, you know, I'm wanting to get back into an operating business, uh, but it's just my personality. I think I think I, I like doing taking on new projects and building them and it excites me. And, you know, it's always, you know, the thrill of the hunt necessarily more than the, than the kill, I guess would be a good way to explain it. Mm-hmm. The journey, the journey and the grind, yeah, not yeah, the end product. Yeah, the journey, exactly. It's exact thought I've always been that way. Uh, in sports with, with, uh, with anything I've ever done, I, I enjoy the, I enjoy the process. I enjoy learning. I'm a, I'm a tenacious reader. I, you know, the values that I, that I, that I have, you know, yeah, for sure. Um, from what we talked about, it seems like you got your hands in a bunch of different industries, started different companies. Um, I just wanted your opinion on where do you, where do you see most business owners fail when they're trying to take their business to the next level? Um, or maybe they're trying to scale up to one degree and it ends up just uh, completely coming right back in their face and going out of business potentially or something. Where, where do you see most business guys you're working with or along your journey yeah you say, yeah yeah fail. um yeah so i do a lot of like uh i'm an eo which is entrepreneurs organization and i um, i've been an accelerator coach which, what accelerators are, are people that are at three hundred fifty thousand dollars or more and they're trying to get to a million and then they partner i'm up with an eo accelerator uh and i coach it once a month and so i've been doing that for four years and so i've a decent little bit of experience in that i think the biggest thing is is people don't want to let go of roles and they work you know, in their business, not on their business, meaning like they're afraid to hire an employer. They're afraid to, to let things go. They're afraid to delegate. So essentially like to themselves, I think that's a huge, a huge mistake that the people make and, and, and thing that holds them back. The other thing I think as well is people 
come out as an entrepreneur and they start their first business because it's something that excites them and they don't really have a a way of analyzing a business and how to get into a business and if you should get into a business and if it's the right business. And so they get into these businesses that, you know, they have emotional, uh, you know, emotional attraction to, but might not necessarily be a, a very good business or industry to be in, you know? And so they get into it and it's their first or second deal they've done and they're excited about it. But I, I would never be in that business in the first place just because the margins aren't good or the barrier entry is good or it's saturated or it's commoditized or, or whatever. You know what I mean? I think those yeah. are two big, uh, two big things that, that, uh, that I've seen. Yep. And then also learning how to yeah. be resourceful people, you know, be, learn how to outsource, learn how to be resourceful, learn how to get things done cheap, learn how to be scrappy. Like, you know, it, uh, it's a, you gotta be a hustler. You gotta acquire those. You gotta, you gotta be, you gotta have balls, make money, man. You know? Yeah. I hear you there. Um, talk about this with me. It seems like you're pretty competitive. And uh, definitely in football, seems like it's transferred over to the business world. Um, tell me what role being competitive has played in your business and your success and uh, why you thrive to be so competitive at everything you do. Is it just born in you? Or? Uh, you know, I grew up, um, I got two brothers on middle child, you know, we all, we all played college football, we all you know, competed at, I mean, I've just been doing it since I was a kid, you know, you know video games, football, you know, running track would you i mean you you name it i mean it was just it's just and i and you know my grandpa played pro football was an all-american at stanford my cousins played my uncles played like there's just there's a lot of dudes in our family <laughs> just a lot of you know it's a lot of a lot of a lot of shit talking a lot of competing and so it's always just kind of been in me and i think there's something about competition that kind of brings out a primal energy in, in, in you that that's you know that kind of radiates you know what i mean and i and and when, and when you have it and it's there, it feeds you, it feeds you energy. And, and uh, you know, it just, it's just something that I've always kind of had. Now I've gotten about backed off as far as to be more in a healthy competitive uh, way as I've gotten a little older. Um, but definitely um, it's always there. And, you know, it's just it's fun. You know, I like to get out there and keep people there. Sure. <laughs> yeah, you like got to get in there. That's right, bro. You got to mix it up. Before we, uh, before we jump into a little bit about you, um, and some of your personal life, I'd love to know what's the best piece of advice you have for a young entrepreneur like myself who's currently trying to start a business of their own. Um, best piece of advice I, I, I would say is one: you, you got to have work ethic. Okay, number one, I mean, that's, a, that's just it's a given. You know, if you're just an idea guy and you can't execute, then you might do a job. Um, but the, the, after, after work ethic, I would say, um, you gotta, you gotta find something that you, you're passionate about that you're doing. So whether, whether it's what you're doing or why you're doing it, like for me, I, I just know myself, I love to build new things and learn stuff and that feeds me energy. And you, you gotta have that element in whatever you're doing because the long days are going to grind on you. And if you don't love or have passion about what you're doing or, 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 or at least why you're doing it to feed you energy every day, I think that willpower eventually runs out. Because you, you just got to have that, that that battery recharged every day with that, and then the, and then the third thing I would say is get around people that that, that have done what you want to do that are at a higher level with you, and they'll bring you up and learn from them, and you know leech off of their of their knowledge and, and soak up everything like a sponge that they can give you, uh, and then because they're going to help you get to the X on the map 
a lot faster or even help you figure out where that exit is. And then the last thing is just be very weary of, of energy vampires who you spend your time with and people that lower your standards of your bar because they will, they will bring you down. I don't care who you are and how much willpower you have. Um, I always try to hang with people above your level so you can elevate to them. And then, I mean, I continue to like find people and then not outgrow them, but as I was growing into my business career, I would, you know, absorb that skill set, find the next person, absorb that skill set, and kind of climb up that ladder, you know? Yeah, for sure. Definitely uh, take as much as you can from other people and uh, use it in your business. I mean, once you get to that level or the higher level of people uh, actually making things happen, it seems like they'd rather be there yeah. to help you than uh, hurt you. 100%. And then, you know, when you, you know, then give it, then, then pay it forward. The big component of, yeah, of that. Yeah, for lot. sure. Yeah. Yeah. Let's, uh, let's move aside from your career a little bit and what you've done in the past. Uh, let's tell me a little bit from your personal perspective. What makes Lauren tick from what you told me? Sounds like you live a pretty active lifestyle. You told me you pretty much have a full training facility at your house. You got <laughs> red light walls, hyperbolic chambers. IV station, 2,000 square foot gym, sauna, steam room, all that jazz. Um, it's pretty crazy. So it seems like you got to be getting after it. So what's a uh, what's a daily workout yeah, look yeah. like for you? Uh, um, you know, so yeah, I've always just been passionate about obviously, you know, fitness and and, and sports is my first love. You know, and uh, always trying to find ways to get bigger and faster and stronger. And as I got more older, it's more about you know recovery as well. Um, but you know, what I do is I'll, I'll get up and, and, um, I'll get in my hybrid chamber for an hour and, uh, before I work out and it's crazy, man. So it takes you down to like 1.7 atmospheric pressures, which is kind of like being like 40, 40, 50 feet underwater. And then you breathe pure oxygen and the pressure you absorb more of the oxygen. So essentially you flood your system with oxygen and then you get out and, and you feel like a million bucks. And I get in there and I'll, 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 I'll train like, you know, body build legs and upper body, uh, legs one day, upper body, uh, and then I'll do sprints and conditioning and, um, but it's like five, six days a week. And then, and then, uh, I get ozone IVs from, from my wife once a week. I get my cold plunge and you know, it just, you know, and I, it's, it's probably my, my first, uh, passion. I mean, performance and, and training and, and, uh, it's just what I love. I mean, if I'm, if I'm going to, some people like to get new toys and they get cars, or they get, uh, snowmobiles, they get four wheelers, you know, I buy hyperbaric chambers and, and cold plunges. <laughs> yeah. Like Braden um, gets, uh, Braden gets motorcycles. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, I, I, I ride too with Tim. We, we don't, we haven't rode, we haven't rode much though. <laughs> we went down to Rocky for Point sure. for the, the Rocky Point Rally last last November. It was kind of last time I think we all we all rode together. Oh boy, getting tearing it up. Yeah, it was huh? really, oh yeah, yeah. I, get, I can't tell you all those. I can't tell you all those stories. I can't. I can't tell you all those stories. <laughs> yeah, I hear you. Maybe another day. <laughs> Yeah, um, are you still uh, are you still playing any sports? You told me you just started golf a few years ago. Um, you, you do anything else or mainly golfing? No, nah, mainly golfing and then just training. I mean, I, mean, I started golfing. It's very difficult for me, man. Like it's a, it's a finesse sport, and I'm not a finesse athlete. I'm a power athlete and explosive athlete, and so it's it's. I mean, I'm, I'm committed to it, but I still suck. So I get two uh-huh. lessons a week, and I try, I try, try, try. I got a, a golf simulator in my garage, and I'm trying to. Trying to get better, man, but um, it's like two steps forward, one step back. This is more like two steps yeah. forward, five steps back. A little, uh, little less intensity than football, I'd say. <laughs> yeah, and you gotta like relax. It's finesse, and it's just yeah, it's just um, yeah, yeah. I, <laughs> <laughs> I definitely hear you. My dad's a big golfer, and we got a guy in the office who uh, 
was an ex pro golfer, so they're pretty good. They played in college together and they'll go out with me, so that's always a fun time. Oh yeah. Man, I, I love it, man. Yeah. Um, I love it, but it's frustrating though. Yeah, I wanna hear uh I wanna hear a little bit more on some of this workout stuff. Uh from what I read you've competed in CrossFit and I do a lot of CrossFit now for my workouts, so were you actually in the big competition for the games or no, I didn't go to the games. I um, so I started. So I'm 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 six five, you know, two hundred seventy pounds. So I'm, I'm a pretty pretty big, uh, pretty big dude. And so, I, and I, I after I got out of uh, football, and I was like, hmm, I'm gonna go try this crossfit thing out. And because uh, I was a good athlete, but it was different. And I got took second in like a re, not 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 cross the regionals, but just got like a little regional tournament. The problem though yeah. is it was uh, it just wasn't conducive for my size. I mean, the guys that are good at crossfit are like the DBs, like the strong safety type, type guys that are, you know, 5'9", 5'10", you know, 180 pounds, like the, the Matt oh, Frazers yeah. of I the world, you, you know what I mean? They, they just have huge motors. And, you know, for me, I'm, it was just uh, too big. But I, I enjoyed it for a while, and I think that it helped my motor. I think now that, like, my, I think the endurance and, the, and capacity that I created while training that way for about a year is stuck with me, which, which I enjoy. Um, but I don't train CrossFit too much anymore. Yeah, I kind of, I'm kind of starting to, pull back a little bit on that front now it's kind of wears on your body at times and you i'm in there doing it like five six times a week so throwing around yeah, super high and intensity and yeah just getting out of my mind in there um yeah most cross, most what, crossfit guys that i see sometime in their career get injured in crossfit yeah yeah for sure yeah i've uh been battling a few not really like injuries but just stuff that's been nagging me during my workouts yeah. and i'm like i gotta back off a little bit and Maybe not be lifting as all this weight like thirty reps at a time. <laughs> yeah, um, exactly. Let's. Uh, I want to hear about these world records you got, though. Um, <laughs> from what I researched, you had one, but it sounds like you got the five hundred, the five hundred meter, the hundred meter, the one minute max distance, and the indoor rowing. Uh, how yeah. this come about, and why? <laughs> why did you decide to go after these records, or maybe you didn't decide and just uh, it just happened? I don't know. Yeah, it's a good question. So I have a rowing machine um, in my gym, and I'd always do a 500-meter row before for our warm-up before I would work out because it gets your heart rate jacked up. And So one day I was in there feeling pretty good, and I was like, I'm going to hit this as hard as I can and see what it is. So I, I go after it, and I, I hit one, a minute 16 in 500 meters. And I was like, Damn, I've never seen that before. That's pretty fast. So I get online, and I start looking at who the world records are. And this, the world record is a minute, 10 seconds, one one ten point five. Okay. Set in like yep. 1997 by this guy named Leo Young, who was an Olympic rower in uh, in Australia, and uh, and I was like, shit, man, I think I could probably I could probably beat that. So uh, I hired my my one of my good buddies as a trainer to program for me. And we reached out to Leo on Instagram in, in Australia, and he gave us his uh, his training protocol, what his numbers were, and everything else. And so we created a a, a training regimen and and freaking went after it. And uh, um. You know, it took us about – it was some of the hardest training you'll ever do because it was just – you know, for the lifting-wise, there's just a ton of front squats, ton of, ton of, ton of deadlifts. And I had to get my deadlift up to close to 600 pounds. And, and, um, and then, uh, you know, and then the rowing workouts were just, like, so intense because it's, it's lactic acid threshold training and power, right? And you've got to be able to get to yeah. your peak and hold, and hold on to it for about a minute. And, mm-hmm. um, and so, yeah, so, uh, you know – we, we would we'd have like boss training and we test them and do boss training and it took about six months to get there but um 
the the 500 meter was the last one I said. It was I actually tied the guy. I, I, I had 110.4, but it rounded to 110.5. So, you know, I had you know I'm, I'm tied with him on that one. But that's the the, the OG record. It's been around for 27 years. And then in the process, I, I took the match distance um, uh, at 400. I think 438 meters in one minute. And then the 100 meter, which was pretty cool, I beat by two tenths of a second. And the guy that I beat that was tied for the record was actually Brian Shaw. Who's like the three-time oh. world strong world strongest man? Yeah. Um, yeah, man. But it was it was you know it was I just kind of set my mind to it and, and you know I, I'm also I'm I'm tall and I'm explosive and I can coordinate my muscles pretty good so I think I had a a knack already um, just kind of genetically a bit towards of an it. Then, over. Yeah, the taller guys definitely do better on the row machine for sure. Hundred percent. So it was it was a lot of fun, man. It was it was a cool cool process got a little plaques kind of hanging in my gym and also kind of had you know everything else when you when you when you're that intense focus on athletics everything it kind of spills over to all the other areas of your life you know because you're, you're so dialed in that business is better relationships are better you just have a lot of energy you know yeah and for uh, everybody out there listening on some of the technical terms we we're talking about i know i understand them some of you guys might not but he was talking about maxing out on that rowing just uh in other words, think about putting, just like they do in the NFL Combine, putting 225 on the bench bar and doing that for a minute straight and think about how worn your body is or maybe putting 315 on a squat rack and doing squats for a minute straight. Is, it, is that about right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's just, it's, uh, wears you out. If, you ever, if, if, if anybody's ever ran a, like a 400-meter sprint, full-blown full mm-hmm. balls to the wall, that's about what it is because you, you build yeah. up lactic acid in your muscles and that's what makes you want to feel the feeling you want to puke, but it also makes you feel like your arms just, and legs just feel so heavy and you got to be able to, yeah, it's, 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 it's one of the most intense, hardest things I've done. And, you know, I've done a lot of uh, hard shit athletically, especially like two days of football camp back when they had them. And, you know, so it was, uh, let's put it this way. I've been on the rower about three times since, <laughs> since I broke the records. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> last thing I want to touch on is you told me, uh, you're about to have a son. If if you guys had him yet, or yeah, got a little. He's, he's actually a week old today. Um, little baby hunter, oh. hunter Paul Howard, man. Yeah, it's a uh, it's crazy, dude. I don't know if you have any kids, but um, you can't really explain it until you. It's a it's a feeling thing, you know what I mean? You just it's a love that, yeah. that you never really felt before, and a responsibility. And this is a really cool. You know, you look forward to seeing him and just kind of complete your life. I guess is, is a good way to put it. Um, from a purpose yeah. and then he, he's cool. He just he's a lot of. I'm not sleeping a whole lot, but um, he's. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm I'm sending my wife tomorrow tonight. She's going down to the guest room because I'm like I got I got to. You got it. You got the duties tonight. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Man. I'm like, so she's off for two months, so which is good. But yeah, it's been a he's, okay, he's a cool, cool little dude. Yeah, for sure. Good stuff. Um, Let's uh, let's talk about a little bit what you're doing right now with Prime Plus Mortgages. Tell me a little bit more about the company and what exactly yeah. you guys do. So Prime Plus Mortgages, we have a, uh, a mortgage banking license, but we we specifically specialize in hard money loans. And what a hard money loan is, essentially, the, the problem that we're solving is uh, investors that are trying to buy distressed properties, uh, they have to buy them usually with cash or hard money um, because the timing is very quick. You know, wholesalers will. We'll, we'll market to distressed properties, you know, pre-foreclosures, probate, out-of-town uh, landlords, stuff like that. Um, and they'll offer them cash offers and get them under contract, okay? And then they'll assign that contract over to a fix-and-flip guy who will then need to, you know, close on it in five days or seven days with cash or hard money. So they come to a guy like me, 
and I'm an asset-based lender. So I don't pull credit. I don't run background checks. I don't care because I'm basing, basing my loan specifically on the value of the asset. Um, so when I underwrite it, um, I determine how much money they need to put down. And then we're short-term, short-term financing. We're six-month term. We'll, we'll extend it after six months. Um, and we charge anywhere from 12 to 16%. Um, and it's only investor-purpose loans. We don't loan on anything that's uh, primary residence um, because there's, uh, you know, Dodd-Frank and all the lending uh, and we, uh, uh, regulatory environment that we don't do bye-bye because uh, we do business-purpose loans only. Yeah. Um, do you guys uh, – are you guys strictly in Arizona, or do you get, can you guys work in any state? How does that work? Yeah, yeah, good question. So we're, we're licensed in Arizona right now, and, and we're only about a $15 million fund, and we haven't really raised money. It's just been – we have, you know, me and my, my partner's equity um, in the deal, and then we have uh, some bank lines of credit that we've securitized with, uh, with, our, with our note portfolio. And we're just about tapped out. So, the next, so we're only in Arizona right now. The next thing is, you know, finding private investors to sell these uh, trustees off to you, and that we'll, we'll service them uh, for them. And you know, give me anywhere between eight and nine percent return that's securitized by by uh, by real estate, and then you know we'll we'll, we'll service it for them and, and uh, take care of everything. And so that's kind of the way to grow it here here moving in the future. It's, it's um, a little bit of a lifestyle business for me. Um, you know, now the portfolio is kind of built up. I have really good systems and team in place, so it doesn't require a whole ton of uh, my time and attention. And um, but it's a, it's a great business, you know. Um, yeah, I mean, as long as you underwrite the underwrite the deals right, you're always gonna have a few foreclosures here and there. But we haven't luckily lost any money on them on any of them, so it's been a uh, been good. Yeah, I think um, I don't think I totally understood your business at first, but um, is there a lot of competition in that space? Or yeah, there is, um, you know, it could be because the money is attractive. But uh, you know, there's a lot of lenders, but there's enough there's enough enough uh, eating to go around for, for everybody. Um, you know. Uh, it is a little bit commoditized, um, and you know there's a little bit of rate suppression with the, with the more money getting involved. And you know, real estate's been been going gangbusters in Arizona, and, and uh, yeah, you know, Maricopa sure. County is the, the fat. Mar- yeah, Maricopa County is the fastest growing county in the country. Um, but yeah, there's a lot. You know, you know, there's there's Wall Street's now buying buying hard money loan notes. There's a couple companies that are doing that, and and uh, you know, you have Silicon Valley. There's a company called Lending Home that's that's in it. So it's it, you know, and you know, I'm. Just curious. But at the same time, you still have guys that have been doing it for 15, 20 years, you know, um, that are here. And uh, so it's hard, it's hard to say, but it, it is competitive, but I haven't found it too, being too competitive to the point where, you know, our deal flow suffers. Yeah. Um, tell me this. You said you're going against guys doing it 15, 20 years. There is some competition in the space. How, how do you keep a competitive advantage against those guys and continue to attract clients? Yeah, we're we're pretty good with our marketing, and uh, you know, I, I came from a you know direct to consumer marketing background, um, and so we're pretty good with with our marketing. Um, we're good at our SEO. We rank for a lot of the top keywords. Um, we're very efficient at underwriting, and we know that time is of the essence for our borrowers. So we get a lot of repeat borrowers because we're able to give them an answer within an hour, hour and a half. Uh, we're able to fund within a day, day or two if need be. Um, yeah, we have good customer service, and, and uh, you know we have, you know we've probably funded over. 50 to 70 million dollars of loans last last couple of years and so uh you know you just kind of build up a name you know we we uh we we, we buy lists of people that have borrowed hard money in the past month we skip trace them we dial on them we do ringless voicemails we we email them we have really good content you know just it, it's marketing is always a, a web right it all goes in the same bucket but you gotta have multiple tentacles out there and i think we've done a done a good job of uh kind of creating a brand and and uh, and, and um 
you know, a name for ourselves, at least in Arizona. Yeah. Has the technology, has the shift in technology and the advancement in technology affected your guys' space any? Um, I, in the hard money space, no. I mean, I'm, I'm just, I'm kind of waiting for the, someone to kind of create the rocket mortgage of, of hard money, but I don't think anyone's really been able to do it. You know, because these, uh, these different, like, um, cities and, and pockets are so they're so unique you know each each real estate market has a, and if you don't if you don't have boots on the ground and really someone you know you, you see the open doors and the upper pads of the world trying and, and the zillows trying to buy sight unseen and stuff and none of those guys are making any money right now i mean they're they're, they're increasing their their revenue by their by the total sales numbers but if you look at the profit loss they're all losing money because you know they're all unique these and you need to you really need to know how to value these properties and in order to do that you kind of need to have you know, people that are familiar with them boots on the ground. So I haven't seen anybody do it uh, as of yet successfully, but you know, maybe maybe someone does it online. I don't know. Yeah, I want to uh, pick your brain a little bit on the real estate market moving forward. Uh, my family's invested in real estate. We know a lot of other families invest in real estate. We got uh, we've been getting reports. A lot of the bigger square foot mansions, you would say, uh, values are dropping big time. Um, what are you seeing on your end with real estate moving forward? Well, yes. Uh, so, like in Arizona, or just like because I only track kind of uh, in uh, Arizona is definitely the yeah probably a good target, but overall too. Yeah, sure. Hey, let me just uh, let me open, open my drawer here and get my crystal ball out for you real quick. I'm just kidding, man. Oh, perfect. <laughs> <laughs> I say that when uh, people ask me where the markets are going and uh, corn and beans. I'm like, man, if I uh, if I knew, I wouldn't be talking to you. I'd be uh, I'd be a ghost just making money. Uh, Exactly, man. Um, you know, in Arizona, and that's kind of like, look, we have ratio super, super low, and so we got refinance activities um, super high. In Maricopa County, like I said before, is a fast-growing county, and it's still pretty affordable. I do think that there is an affordability um, issue, but at the same time, there's an inventory issue, okay? So, like, yeah. they're both kind of pushing pushing prices up. Um, high to bet, I'd say we have a little bit of a, a, a tailwind here for the next, you know, six to 12 months and then so you know they, i think the appreciation rates are already slowing down um and then eventually i think it'll it'll plateau and then you'll have a pullback and then uh you know after that a lot of it depends on you know the rate environment you know what a, a lot of the other stuff that's going on with the trade wars and just just consumer confidence you know what i mean but affordability is yeah. an issue because home 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 prices is raising faster than or appreciation is faster than wages and and uh, and it's also hard for people to find you know dirt and the cost to build right now is super high so they're not building you know two hundred thousand two or three thousand dollar starter homes they're trying to build more of the four or three thousand dollar homes which which aren't super affordable as well so there's just a lot of different things yeah um, yeah seems like a big shift along. with the millennials coming into the housing market and whatnot too exactly yep yeah um, last question on uh, your business where do you see prime mortgage or prime plus mortgages in the next three to five years? Um, you know, what would it be nice? I'd like to build up a database of investors um, who I can, when I get deal flow, if, you know, we went out of cash that we can um, send off to investors and uh, you know, I have a deck that, that um, we just, you know, we're kind of selling our first one right now. Uh, and so, you know, as, as deal flow comes, because there's two, two different ways I can go. I can sell trustees off on one office of private investors and service them for them. Or I can create a, a fund, which is like a private place memorandum. And, and ideally, what I'd like to do is create a, a database of investors to um, syndicate deals to uh, syndicate them, like not like syndicate together, but like just send them off to everyone. 
and then put yeah. some for a serve to buy and we'll service them. And then after you built that up, maybe you consolidate into a, a fund or a pool or like a private place memorandum. But right now, kind of being at the, 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 head, the head end of the cycle, the last thing I wanted to go do is get commitments and raise cash and not be able to deploy it. Um, so that's why I think the best way to do is to, uh, for us, is, is to create a list of data investors and then sell the trustees so they own the, the loan, but then I'll just service it for them for my fee and make them money, make them happy, um, kind of get a better pulse on, on where this market's going over the next year or so. And then uh, when I think it's right, maybe try to consolidate into a fund um, where everyone kind of, and then put all of our loans in the same same pocket and kind of create a, a profit share fund and then a servicing arm. I think that's probably the, the way to go. Yeah, it definitely makes sense. Sounds like a pretty good plan. Um, shifting gears a little bit to end this podcast off and to wrap things up, I still want you to uh, share a little bit about what you and Braden are working on with Valley Guardians. I know you guys put a lot of work into it. It uh, means a lot to you guys. So just wanted to hear a little bit more about it and what you guys had going on. Yeah, man. Um, Valley Guardians is really cool. So we started it uh, three years ago. We kind of I went up to the big buck run um, uh, a couple times with the uh, Braden yeah. and uh, snowmobile. I was, I was, oh yeah, it was just, it was kick ass, man. It was just like a bunch of guys, and they're all just down. No one knew who was who, so no one was you know everyone's egos checked at the door. And a great time and a great cause and a zero dollar operating budget. And it was just it, it was amazing, man. And so we were coming back on the plane. I was like, dude, Braden, we should you know we should do this down in Arizona. He's like, yeah, I know. So, you know, me and Braden you know, created a short list of our friends and, you know, called a board meeting, you know. We didn't have a name. We didn't know what the hell was going on. You know, we just kind of got our friends there and, and the, you know, put together our first event. And so we, we operate on our, our unique selling proposition is that every dollar raised goes, to, goes back to kids in need. Um, so we pay for the event. Everyone on the board, we have board dues. Um, and we have one fundraising event every year. And we try to make it new and fun and cool. Um, every year and uh, we've raised close to I think $800,000 with matches and everything in the last three years and um, the people that we support, the recipients, are, are kids in the valley here um, that are in need, typically from, from an education perspective, right? So the scholarship opportunities for, for them where they, they are hardworking and, and skilled um, and have good families or good support they just don't have the resources and, uh, you know, mm-hmm. so we support um, uh, you know the, that, that demographic, and, and this is—it's really cool. It's really rewarding. It's tumbling. It's um, you know we we, it, we love it. We, we we just this year we put in like a board structure and bylaws and governance and executive committee, and we're really building it so it can have legacy. And, and you know, ten years from now, we can be grandfathered, and and and, and you know the, the new crop will be running this thing, and it'll 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 kind of go on. There's a lot of organizations here in Arizona, like the Charos and the Thunderbirds and the 2030 Club, that have been around for. For, for years and years, and, and, and uh, you know, we want to be right up there with them and, and try yeah. to build something that has legacy that will be able to provide for, for kids in need for, you know, hell, 100 years from now. For sure. You guys, uh, sounds like you guys are on the right track. I talked to Brayden quite a bit about it, and it seems like you guys are rocking and rolling. Um, to end with a little yes, fun, I just uh, want you to finish this sentence for me. Lauren Howard is thought about that. I mean, what came to mind is a, a lover of people. I'm a, I don't know if you're talking to Braden, like he, he's an endiagram nut. You know, he, anybody he knows yeah. makes a big endiagram and keeps a, keeps a file on him. And I'm a two uh, followed by an eight. And so, I, you know, I really, I really believe that the value, the value of your life is based on the value of your relationships. And I'm, I think in my circle, kind of the, the conduit or the, or the catalyst for, uh, for, for, for our social. And I just, I, I'm a lover of people, people for sure. 
Cool, cool. Definitely a good quality to have, I'd say. Um, before before we wrap some things up, I got one last question for you. I would uh, love for you to tell our listeners one piece of advice or life lesson that's had the most impact on you. I thought about that, and uh, Jim, you know, um, I'm going to butcher this, but Jim Rohn was a guy who studied really, really good motivational guy. Um, but I think that the skill set that the motivation and the skill set that that you need to have, and the tenacity and the the single-mindedness and the, the, you know, all of those things to get you to kind of where you want to go and, and whatever that is, whatever barom- everyone's barometer is different, right? Um, yeah. But I think sometimes that, that skill set, once you get to where that is, is not as conducive for you to do enjoy where you are. And so I think I would, I would just caution people to, to be cognizant of, 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 of what it took for them to get there once they get there kind of enjoy the relationships, enjoy the fruits of their labor and, and maybe audit, um, audit their qualities. You know what I mean? So they don't, you know, I, you know, they don't wind up not being able to, the, the, the qualities that got them there end up being the, their, their demise and not able to enjoy, uh, the fruits of their labor because of it, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely makes sense. And some good advice for, uh, some people out there owning businesses and, uh, starting to take things off. But, uh, I think that's it for our farm take session today. I uh, appreciate you being on the show, taking the time to do the podcast with me. If you ever need anything, let me know. I'm always around for uh, anything you need, idea-wise, investment-wise, whatever. But uh, just wanted Absolutely. to say thank you. Yeah, thank you, but you've done a great job. Your questions were very thought-provoking. Uh, you've been you know, awesome through this entire process. So thank you. Hopefully, I get to meet you someday. And uh, thank you so much yeah, for, for, sure. for thinking of me and wanting to include me. Hopefully, I was able to add... Some some nugget of value that people get that, that, that listen and uh, this thing I can do for you as well. Please, yeah, I agree. Yep, you've uh, done a great job, and I think you have added a lot of value. And I'll definitely uh, be down to Scottsdale soon to visit Braden, and we'll for sure link up. So, absolutely, we'll go we'll go swing the sticks. I'm I'm better at drinking beer than I am at golf, but we'll, we'll I, I agree there. That's uh, <laughs> same for me. So, I'll uh, I'm sure good, we'll buddy. be in touch, and I'll see you soon. Sounds good, but thanks, John. See you, man. Yep, yeah, bye.